Welcome to the Thomas Industry Update Podcast, actionable information for industry leaders. I'm Tony Uphoff. The United States exported just over $612 billion worth of goods and services in Q1 2020, according to the Bureau of Economic Analysis, based on a range of economic, social, and political indicators across 122 countries. The U.S. also recently ranked 23rd in KOF's Globalization Index. Clearly, approaching industrial business operations with a global export strategy is nothing new to many American companies, but it's a totally different game plan compared to a global production strategy, which includes actually setting up production at scale, hiring a skilled team, ensuring consistent quality, and connecting with customers in a new country. But Hudson Technologies, a leading manufacturer specializing in deep-drawn metal manufacturing, has years of hands-on experience in applying this globalization strategy to expand its already successful U.S. industrial business. In today's episode, I'm joined by members of the Hudson Tech team as they discuss how they approach this global expansion plan, what they learned along the way, and their advice to other industrial businesses looking to make the same move. You'll hear perspectives from a few different team members in today's discussion, including Strategic Projects Manager, Nelson Jacobson Jr., Director of Sales Operations, John DeBone, Sales Engineer, Farley Fitzpatrick, and Sales and Marketing Manager, John Marfiat. Hey, super excited to have the team from Hudson with us today. And, and I, I'll start off by saying that one of the biggest questions we get from our customers and people in the industry, they have a huge interest in, quote unquote, globalizing their business and exporting. Take us through a little bit of when this first started for the company and how did this start to happen? Because you all have done some really innovative things in this area. Can you give us a bit of a background of when the idea of globalizing the business came about and how you started it? Sure. Uh, my name is Nelson Jacobson. I am from JSJ Corporation originally. I started working with Hudson about two years ago when they decided to look into expanding their diaphragm business and growing that in Asia. I'll let the Johns cut me off if I say anything that's not 100% accurate, but you know, in theory, Hudson's always really been a global company. They've been shipping to customers you know, all over the world, probably since, you know, almost its, its inception. But the idea, I think that, and one of the reasons why we're talking today is more centered around to have an operation serving a market outside of the U.S. with that idea behind that being a thrust that they're going after. And what initially happened was Hudson Technology, who has four or five major business units, has a strong hold on diaphragm production which is one of the enabling devices for a pressure sensor or core sensor module. I'm ignorant, it's a little bit on the, on the verbiage. 75% of their customer base was already producing you know, throughout Asia. And on a trip a few years ago in working with one of their primary customers, the idea came up about becoming their primary source and secondary source, having one location in the United States, another location in China. A lot of this stemmed around kind of solidifying that we would have a place at the table and obviously give us an opportunity to grow existing business. This eventually kind of turned into something much bigger than what we initially set out to do. It wasn't really about solidifying the business with the three main customers. What eventually started to manifest was us starting to see that 
you know, throughout China, there was a real opportunity to grow outside of what we already knew. And the answer to that is we, I don't think we knew as much going in as, as we thought. We soon found out that there's a huge demand for high precision diaphragms in Asia that's just not being met. There's over 800 plus diaphragm manufacturers in China that we know of, but what Hudson does far exceeds what they're getting right now. And so when a lot of people look to you know, Hudson and, and a lot of people are asking me about, you know, obviously the, the climate we have geopolitically between the two countries, you know, how, how do you plan to compete with what is kind of viewed as a commodity item throughout China to Chinese customers? And the answer is not simple, but it, it stems from China's going through a lot of changes. Hudson has a tremendous value proposition as the experts that they are in precision machining and metals. Without JSJ, the holding company has had a longstanding history in China. And so all of that together provides a really exciting opportunity for the business. Talk a little bit more about, you know, the the quote unquote unmet need. I think as a lot of companies look to, you know, globalize, perhaps enter new markets, it can be a tough strategic evaluation of what's the competitive arena look like? Am I going to compete on price, availability, some unique technology? It sounded like, you know, one of the reasons you saw this is just a flat unmet need. So you weren't necessarily going to go in and displace a, a low cost provider. Is that an accurate understanding? Yeah, that is. That's an accurate statement. I think um, there's a lot of formerly state-owned companies that are now going to the private sector. There's a lot of new customers coming into China. And then as a result, there's a lot of Chinese purchasing managers and engineers that are looking at what is truly a commodity item and what is a critical component. And a diaphragm is just that inside of a pressure sensor module. It's something that, you know, for me, who's I know enough about manufacturing to be dangerous. I'm not an expert. I know when I first looked at, you know, stamped pieces of diaphragm, I had no idea what what I was really looking at. And the, there's a term that Hudson uses they call secret sauce. And the, the secret sauce or the, the real magic is done what's under a microscope. These pieces of metal, some of them are very complex metals and difficult metals to work with. All the science is really done underneath a very powerful microscope. There's you know certain ways the tooling needs to be maintained. And again, I'm not a technical expert, but it's fairly complicated stuff and virtually impossible to reverse engineer, which also gives us an advantage with without going down the rabbit hole in a country that, you know, intellectual property theft is something that you have to be conscious of. So what we're seeing, though, is a customer base that with us being the supplier to the suppliers, taking on a new customer base that has higher expectations on scrap rate, failure rate, just they're being held to a higher standard. And it's causing them to look at, again, what is a commodity item and what is an enabling component. And that's just what a diaphragm is. And they're not seeing anybody else that has that wherewithal and that know-how that Hudson Technologies does have. So the, the big part of the project is how do we replicate what we're doing here with Hudson in the United States and having that same quality, same expertise come out of China for Asia. Yeah, well said. And it's interesting. We have noted over the last boy, a couple of years, certainly, but it, it dates back even farther than that. A steady but sure increase of Chinese procurement managers sourcing North American suppliers on thomasnet.com. And it surprises a lot of people. 
because they probably have a fairly one-dimensional view of globalization these days. And certainly in this era of trade tensions and tariffs, it, I think it's hard to see, and, and I think you did a great job of articulating it, that these are cultures that are moving very quickly and they're business environments that are moving very quickly. They're not one thing. And I think it's difficult for many of us to try to articulate the subtleties and nuances, not that there aren't risks, and you mentioned one of IP theft, but it's fascinating to watch. And I would assume that you all are seeing this in a pretty interesting way as the, the business culture, let me call it in China, is evolving. I'm John Marfiak. I'm director of sales at Hudson Technologies. I just wanted to add something to what Nell said. We have been competing for 20 years in the Asian market. And why we compete the way we do is the metal costs the same here as it does in China. Usually they have to import their metals, either from the US or from Europe. So we make them here in our Ormond Beach facility, and it's a very automated process. So we have very little labor content. The diaphragms are one hit in the press, and they're ready to ship. And what Nell's alluded to is the secret sauces in our tooling and the way we, we manufacture these parts. So you know we've been able to ship cost-effectively to China for 20 years. But recently, our customers came to us and said, look, we need a second source. And instead of losing the business to a Chinese competitor, we said, what if we set up business in China? Would that suffice? And they said, yes. So what we're offering them now as a savings is really just logistics savings, uh, being able to produce these parts in country and do stocking programs for them. And also we're uh, allowing them to pay in, in RMBs, Chinese money. So again, we take the risk of the conversion of the dollar to the RMB. So there are some advantage. They're coming back to us. Well, we want cost reductions. Well, we're offering you in effect a a savings of doing it in country and then being able to provide it to you much faster. It's been a long journey, but uh, we feel it's the right thing to do. Uh, you know, 75% of our products end up in the in the Pacific Rim, so why not become a, a producer over there? And even even to that too, it also frees up space here at Ormond Beach and allows them to take on new deep drawn opportunities and and other technologies. Hey, John, you referenced it's been a journey. And if you can, from any of you or all of you, share some of the lessons learned. You know, it's not easy to do what you've done. And John, also implicit in your observation, there is something, boy, do I wish the mainstream media would pick up on, is that U.S. manufacturers are competitive on the global stage. And in, in many portions of the market have been for, what did you say, 20 plus years. So I'll get off my soapbox on that in a second. But talk a little, if you can, about, you know, some of the lessons learned. And if you're willing to share, perhaps some of the lessons learned the hard way as, you, as you've been managing this strategy. Sure. I belong to an organization here, the Florida Medical Manufacturers Consortium, and, and one, one of the speakers talked about going to China just through his visits through the internet for a orthoscopic surgical device, and it turned into a horror story. You know, he didn't manage it. He didn't go over there. The website said they had a uh, clean room, and it turned out it had a dirt floor, but they were sweeping it. It was a clean room. But I think the success for us has been having JSJ, our parent company, over there since 1987. We have Chinese nationals on our payroll that their job is to make sure that, you know, they find the right partners for us, that they monitor quality. Mostly what we try to do is to sell into China. We have sister divisions that are very large automotive manufacturers that have two facilities in Shanghai that sell to the Chinese automotive market that help monitor when we ship something from our partners in China, they go in there and monitor and do the final inspection or are with them with the final inspection. So again, we've all heard horror stories about people going to China and, and Chinese people thinking they're doing the right thing. Well, you know, they call for 304 stainless, but I can buy this other stainless cheaper, so I'm gonna save you money without telling you. 
uh, we've all heard those horror stories, but uh, we just have people over there that monitor that don't allow the process to be changed and ensure that we get the product as expected. Tremendous amount of learning over that period of time. Talk a little bit, you're at your local cocktail party, you're relaxing with friends and the idea of, uh, wait, you're doing business in China? Not with China, but in China? So, you know, comes up these days, ripped from the headlines. How have the tariffs and the, and the trade tensions, has it challenged things or having Chinese nationals as a part of your organization, your parent company, has it really not been, I'll use the expression, quote unquote, that big a deal to you all? Let's see, I'll try to keep this one short. So I'll do a little bit of history before I launch into it, but I think it's important to kind of show you why I have the opinion I do. In 1987, so I am from JSJ Corporation, which was started in, you know, 1919. We started, we had our 100 year anniversary, you know, it was last year uh, in 2019. And in 1987, my grandfather as a retired foundryman with his longtime business associate, decided to go to China. This was, you know, if you think about it historically, this is kind of around the time people started looking at China. You know, they were 10 years off of a cultural revolution. And he went, he went to China, and what ended up happening was they, they decided to start a brass foundry there. Again, this was a guy who was just kind of intellectually curious, this guy being my grandfather. He'd already retired, and they started a brass foundry. And four days later, after starting it, they had the incident at Tiananmen and they asked my grandfather, boy, what are you going to do now? And his response was, well, every country has problems. And so it was around 1994, you know, after the success of the foundry took off, we, we decided to establish JSJ China, which is kind of the Chinese counterpart to what JSJ Corporation is. We decided that there needed to be a Chinese counterpart to that. But around that time, we made the decision that we would never hire expats. And I won't go into you know, kind of my opinions on that. The closest thing to that has been my father and myself. We spent a lot of time over the years throughout China. I probably spent half the year on and off in China. And part of that is understanding Chinese culture. It's understanding who, you know, the Chinese are right now, where they've been, but most importantly, kind of understand where they're going. So it's not easy for everybody to understand without context, especially if your primary source is the mainstream media. So to go back to now the original question, what comes up at at cocktail hours and shareholders events? Yes, it comes up all of the time. People are always asking, you know, is the trade war impact this? How how do the tariffs affect you? Which I'll answer that one very quickly. The tariffs aren't that big of an issue for us because we're operating in country to serve in country. So that one, you know, you kind of push it aside. But by the way, it's it's working with China and I've been around the culture my whole life. And I can tell you that there are plenty of problems. That's you're going to get that when you bridge two very different cultures together. But if you if you do it with patience and understanding, you, you can you can get through it. And there are times I will admit that I get frustrated bridging the cultural gap. But the kind of running joke we have had for forever is that it's China. Everything's possible. Everything's complicated. But if you have the, I'd say, maturity and uh, patience for it, it can be arguably one of the greatest decisions in our 100-year history. Yeah, you know, really well said, because I, I do think as, as we've made the point, but this is a discussion that I think requires, it's a complex one, and it requires subtlety and nuance, and, and it's hard to do that in a clickbait 
quick headline you know, world where we don't get enough, I think, of that kind of perspective. So let's look back on you know, the really extraordinary history and those early pioneering steps for globalizing the business and particularly in Asia. What advice would you give to earlier stage or smaller companies that look up to you and aspire to one day be on a podcast like this talking about a very successful global strategy? What steps would you encourage them to make or you know, even organizational steps or relationship building? Without getting too philosophical, I mean, it's being open-minded, but ultimately having patience and then vet your resources carefully. If somebody's been there, you know, it's, it's worth listening to, but also understand that, you know, you're going to, you're going to encounter things that are kind of different. For me, I'll give you an example. Operating out of Shanghai is very different than operating out of Tianjin. That's very China specific, but you know the formula somebody put together for you operating out of Guangzhou is going to be very different than Shundi, Shenzhen. But what is kind of the common variable in that equation is just kind of patience and persistence. If we're speaking Chinese specifically, you know, I would say that if left idle, nothing will get done. You have to have people on point that are consistently driving it forward. Sometimes it's easy to get lost in the tyranny of the day. Part of being a global company is that you're now working 24 hours a day because when your shifts are ending, theirs are just picking up. And what I've watched over the years, because I've been around this my whole life, is at first that's viewed a little bit as a burden. It's hard for people to they're like, oh, I'm trying to go to bed and all of a sudden emails are flooding in about everything. And there's kind of a beautiful syntax shift that generally happens. It's when people start embracing that, yes, you have two ships, you can now run 24 hours now, you know, embrace it. And I'd say, you know, just know that that eventually comes. But the biggest advice I can give is, you know, take advice from people who have been there. Great advice. And I'm grinning and, and laughing a little bit on this side. I, I can remember, gosh, probably 10 plus years ago, uh, working for a company that w- we were doing a lot of globalization at the time. And I'm ticking the boxes as I go. We didn't go down the expat route and work with a lot of Chinese nationals. My family was less enamored with the fact that I could work 24 hours a day. I was thrilled with it because I got really excited. I had to learn how to adjust to the uh, the pace and cadence of that. But Really well said. Hey, what I'd like to do is we close out here. We have two questions we always ask our podcast guests. And if I could get each of you to answer these two questions, I'll pose them one at a time and just say your name and then the answer to it. And and I'll let you pick who goes first. So the first question is, what's the one thing you wish more people understood about manufacturing? This is John Marfag. I'll try to take the first stab at it. You know, what we do is, is a very difficult process. And a lot of people that we deal with, buyers or whatever, think that we snap our fingers and a can comes up. It's not an eight-week process in some cases to make these parts. And it's just the difficulties and the processes that we go through to make our product. It's fun talking to people and educating them uh, on what we do. That's what I enjoy most about going out and traveling, visiting customers. My name is Farley Fitzpatrick. I'm the sales engineer. And one of the things that I've seen in my years here is the degrade of the skill set over time and that we need to keep reinvesting in that profession. Not everybody in this world is wired to go to college. There are plenty of excellent careers out there, technically speaking, that people can enter into. And as long as we as a country keep reinvesting into that, I think that we're still going to be the global leader from a manufacturing standpoint. But uh, as the years go by, we just need to make sure that we keep rekindling that flame to keep people engaged in this type of work. 
My name is John DeBone, Director of Sales Operations. I have to say both John and Farley did a good summary of what my thoughts were, but mine was also going to be complexity and opportunities. I mean, I think that talking to people, they don't really understand the complexities of manufacturing. And sometimes it would be, it's good to show like the video online that we have on our website that shows the complexity of the processes, describing them as best we can. So I think that is one thing that uh, I wish other people would know. But uh, yeah, again, what Farley brought up was the opportunities for growth. I mean, there's so many opportunities in manufacturing that uh, you can start off as a press operator and end up being the president. And so I think that's the, the cool thing about manufacturing. Yeah, this is Nelson. I honestly, I'm probably one of the people that need to know more about manufacturing. So I don't know what I can really say, but keeping with this topic, I think it's going away now is this, you know, there used to be this negative notion of you know, going to China, it still exists to this day. But I think what, what I am hopeful that people are starting to realize that it be a global company, you have to think globally. And just because you are producing things and selling things into Asia, it doesn't necessarily take away from something here in the United States. One of the reasons why I got involved with this project is because we can't go into it now, but you'll see, you know, in the coming years, it's allowing tremendous new opportunities here domestically. You know, American manufacturing isn't going anywhere. There, there are changes, things are changing, and Hudson's always kind of on the front end of that. So the thing that, you know, I think, to go back to the original question that I, I wish people would maybe understand more is that in this day and age, moving production around the world is only building up a, the size of a company. It's not taking away from, from anything or anyone. Yeah, well said. And, and I, I just would add to that before we get to our last question for you all. I think, it, again, it requires some nuance and subtlety, but it's not a zero-sum game. And I think oftentimes we get into these political footballs of talking about these things like it's a zero-sum game. But well said. Last question for all of you, just a quick around the horn here. If you could put one sentence on a billboard that expresses your personal philosophy, what would it say? Nelson Jacobson. My personal billboard would just say it starts with hello. I think sometimes people overcomplicate things and the pursuits of new customers or how do you even get started. Found myself saying this a lot over the past couple of weeks is it starts with hello. This is John Marfick. I'll add on to that because I've been part of it with, with Nelson for the last two or three weeks. You know, it's just important that you look somebody straight in the face and, and talk to them face to face to understand what exactly they're looking for. How can we fulfill their needs? It's a great way to connect initially, but uh, I know we had uh, initial contacts with Boeing and, and uh, Nelson and I went to visit them in St. Louis and it was uh, it opened up a whole different world for us. So don't start with hello. How can I help you? Listen with your ears and not with your mouth. Let's <laughs> see who you were. Farley Fitzpatrick. <laughs> some good ones. John, you want to close this down? <laughs> no, I don't really have anything to add to that. I think you guys. That, that, was, a, that was a drop the mic moment, wasn't it? To learn more about Hudson Technologies or read more about how your industrial business can take advantage of global export opportunities, check out the links provided in the show notes of today's podcast. The Thomas Industry Update podcast is hosted by Tony Uphoff and produced by Michaela Tierney. If you'd like to share your feedback about this or any other episode, please email us at podcast at thomasnet.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please take a moment to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or recommend us to a colleague. 
Your feedback helps us continue to advocate for industry across the airwaves. Want to get more insights on supply chain, IoT, industrial business, and more? Sign up for our Thomas Industry Update daily newsletter. With more than 300,000 subscribers, your inbox will be in good company. Subscribe now for free at thomasnet.com updates.